You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Hello, folks, here on a, on a final four weekend of college basketball. This is Matt Minnick coming at you with Michael Rogner here on the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. Disappointed that Florida State is not among the teams still playing, although uh, when you have your entire starting lineup go out with injuries, that becomes a bit of a <laughs> moot point. Uh, but, Michael, uh, we, we had some good – Hey, celebrate the fact that Florida State basketball seems to be getting some good news on the roster front uh, compared to all the bad news that happened during the season. But maybe before we get into that, there is there have been some pretty fun games played in March Madness, and one of which uh, just happened last night with Duke and UNC and Coach K losing his, at least right now, last game ever to his arch rival. Thoughts? Yeah, April's April's pretty fun too. You know, it's it's the the game last night. It was it was nice to see it kind of live up to the hype. It started a little slowly, but then it just built and built and built. And you know, whatever you think about Coach K, it's it's you know you want to see him go out on a game that's meaningful and and uh, you know highly competitive and and uh, and probably one where he loses. So it's <laughs> kind of it's kind of a fun game all around. It's. It's we've got one game left and then we got to wait seven months till, till we get the next one. It's been a fun tournament. Uh, I, I, there were a number of, of games early on that were compelling, you know, overtime matchups the Baylor UNC game was just a, a whale of a basketball game. Uh, and, and, you know, Iowa state had some good ones there. Houston 
so and, and it's come down it come down though even though just you, so you get the st peter's storyline and all this and miami making their first elite eight ever in the history of their program uh so miami and st peter's accomplishing the same thing at the same time uh, which is kind of cool uh it comes down to really a bunch of blue bloods villanova kansas duke carolina even though carolina was an eight seed i think that if you've been watching college basketball for the last month and a half you would see that they were certainly playing better basketball down the stretch uh and and now it appears to be championship quality basketball um did you expect is this the group of teams maybe that you would have expected going in i, I don't know there, you know there's some there's gonzagas and auburns and some other teams that looked like maybe they had a chance but does this for i'll say i'm surprised that arizona maybe bowed out but houston was great themselves is this what you expected yeah, they kind of flamed out a little bit, but I, I I had Houston coming out of that bracket. The only the only team I got right for the Final Four was Kansas. I haven't won it at all. Um, my wife, who watches like zero basketball games outside of Florida State, correctly got three of the Final Four. So oh, little, nice! <laughs> so good for her. Yeah, she's gonna win, she's gonna win the win the pool. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know the bluest of blue bloods, and it, you know even though it wasn't the four teams that I picked, it's not surprising to really see see any of them there. Um, you know, especially after UNC got got past Baylor. Yeah, UNC, Baylor had some injury issues too. Baylor yeah, really had some injury troubles. So yeah, the guard play at UNC has just been spectacular through the through the tournament. And that's you know it's it's tough to compete with. Caleb Love earned himself a. A lot of money. Kudos to him and his family. Uh, he he is going to have life changing money coming up soon. Uh, not that he couldn't have played professional basketball beforehand, but the last six weeks for Caleb Love's uh, season have been spectacular. And he hit another big shot last night against Duke. And and I say so big shots. Is it surprising? You know, we saw this firsthand in Tallahassee. I, I sat courtside and watched Paolo Bancaro really not even look for the ball when Duke was down a point or two late to Florida state in, in a, you know, meaningful at the time conference game that was really between the first and second place team in the conference. So, you know, there was a you know big environment there and, it, and we also, so we see again that Paolo kind of didn't I mean down the stretch where it looked like he might have a mismatch uh, didn't, didn't necessarily look all that aggressive did you notice that? Is that something that, I mean, would you have been like calling out plays for Paolo to get the ball? Yeah, that's been one of my complaints all season long is that, you know, Duke is not putting him in the position that he needs to be in. And then he's also just not stepping up. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a red flag. I mean, he's still obviously a great player. He's, he's, you know, 6'10", 250, can do all kinds of stuff on the court. So he's going to, he's going to be, you know, a, a good NBA player, but you definitely want to see somebody be, be more aggressive and you want to see the coaching staff maybe put him in a position you know, in the, in the mid post more often where he has the ability to play bully ball, but the Duke seemed to reserve that for the end of every game rather than just, you know, go into it from the beginning. So not sure what the coaches were thinking there, but you know, to your point about his inconsistency and his lack of, of aggression, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, that kind of played into it. They just weren't seeing in practice what they needed out of him. But regardless, you know, he had, he had a good year, but, but, you know, not, not great. And obviously didn't in, in the way that he wanted to. And I'll be intrigued to see if he has the same kind of impact in the NBA that someone, um, you know, like Scotty Barnes has had, who's, you know, similar sized and, and can put and can really bully people. 
Yeah, far far be it from me to critique uh, a man who has the most wins and NCAA tournament wins and Final Fours and NCAA history, but um, it does it does seem like the use of Paolo, I don't know, is not certainly not how maybe I would have used him, but and also not how you saw Coach K use players in the past when he had a dominant uh, player like that, even as recently um, as a as a Zion, just a little bit of a different usage there. And, you know, hey, hopefully for Derek uh, Whitehead's career, maybe that's something that uh, Shire will change. I, I don't know. feel like Whitehead might have been used more appropriately at a school that runs a system more like ours. Uh, but you mentioned Scotty Barnes. I watch the Raptors a lot, and he is doing what you're talking about. He is using his 6'9", 230-pound, effective ball handling uh, skill and size to simply he puts up these stat lines that are like seven for 10 for 18 points, few free throws. Maybe he makes one three that he attempts from the corner and just bullet. He, he could very well be rookie of the year because he just like early LeBron bullies. People doesn't have even doesn't have anything what Paolo Bencaro's outside shot is like, but maybe that's a good thing because he doesn't drift and float. He, he attacks downhill. He grabs, he clears the defensive board and just gets moving in transition, which when you see Paolo do that, you see dunks at the rim that are unstoppable. And that's what you see from a Scotty Barnes in the NBA. That's what you see from players like Brandon Ingram, who did go to Duke or uh, Jason Tatum or, um, Julius Randle and and when you see Paolo it just it's like he doesn't realize that you could just you're being defended by Brady Manick like just dunk on him like what are you doing why are you floating around the outside why are you I, I I'm not I do not think I would draft him first because of that and even though he has this is an incredible offensive skill set you know he so did so did a guy like uh uh I'm blanking on him he played it dude J- Jalil Okafor had an outstanding offensive skill set and oftentimes did not just take advantage of his size position and also seemed a bit weak on defense. And now he's doing nothing in the NBA. Yeah. You want guys who, you know, air to the, to the side, more the side of Caleb love. Like he takes a lot of really bad shots, but at the same, the same point, he was like, you know, deep in his bag last night and, and, and made some really uh, tough plays down the stretch. And, you know, Paolo was not able to do that. And, you know, since since it was Coach K's final game, and this is probably the last time we'll talk about him when he's when he's still you know relatively fresh to coaching. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put K on sort of the Mount Rushmore of X's and O's guys. He's obviously on the Mount Rushmore of successful coaches, but he's a great coach because he's the best recruiter of all time. Career um, motivator. Yeah, and uh, the you know, there's this the this. Uh, sort of persistent negative theme in college basketball that that white coaches are the X's and O's guys and black coaches are kind of classified as recruiters. And it's, you know, not only is that nonsense, but, you know, Kay's the best recruiter and someone like Ham, who's got a reputation as a recruiter, you know, he's, he's more of a player development guy. You know, I wouldn't put him in an X's and O's um, battle either. Um, but it's just, it's different ways to, to get, you know, really great rosters and it'll be interesting to see how Duke progresses, you know, are they going to, are they going to, you know, become, 
uh, you know, more of the same where they're just, they've got way more talent than everybody on the floor, or is it going to be, are we going to, are we going to see some really intriguing, you know, offensive modern concepts come out, come out of Duke. So it'll, it'll be fun to watch going forward. And, you know, I, I just don't know, know enough about, you know, their new coach to, to hazard a guess on what it's going to look like. Yeah. I think that's all, it's all great. Well said and, and agree. I don't know what, what John Shire is going to be like as a coach. Uh, we'll, we'll, I mean, we know who he learned from uh, coach K, but you know, Mike Ray learned from coach K and it's not like they are identical uh, in terms of their styles and philosophies. We, we have gotten a good look at UNC's new coach, uh, Hubert Davis here. And, and, you know, he made some change. We got the Roy Williams Invitational here in the national title game, UNC versus Kansas. I don't know what that says about Roy's coaching ability if the two teams that he's most recently been at are just chugging along without him and have great, great talent and, uh, and are in the national title game. But, um, you know, Hubert, I, I don't want to say coach circles around. K- I mean, let's, we, as we have said, Caleb Love was outstanding. Yeah, he took some bad shots. You know who else takes bad shots? Dane Lillard takes bad shots. Uh, Kevin Durant takes some bad shots. Luka Doncic takes bad shots because they are shot takers and shot makers. And they're saying, hey, this is the time of the game where I am putting the team on my shoulders. Um, so Caleb played outstanding. Uh, Manic had some I mean, maybe Paolo wasn't taking advantage of it, but he really, him and Leaky Black had some tremendous kind of box outs and defensive plays down the stretch that that would change, you know, a block for Manic that really helped change the game. And then, of course, RJA has been good too. But I, I like that Hubert kept his guys on the – I mean, he made one sub in the second half, and that was because Baycott rolled his – I mean, this is Final Four. You got to roll with the guys that got you there. And, and when you look at his stats – none of the final four teams are going all that deep into their bench. UNC is the least, I mean, I think they're, they're using their bench the least. And, and I'm curious to your thoughts on that. It certainly worked for Hubert Davis last night and, and and he did put his players in position. He he ran sets and got his players in position for them to make one-on-one spectacular plays. Um, And, and it worked. And they, they got the win here and they got the win in the final game against K down in Cameron too. Uh, so that's two in a row. Um, but I'm curious about his, his lack of use of depth yesterday and just in general with the final four. And what yeah, he's one of, about. he's, he's one of the three coaches in college basketball that has a winning record against coach K. So it's, it's they only play yeah. three, three or four times, but yeah. um, you know, good for him. Uh, the, the depth thing will be interesting to see because he absolutely refused to develop any depth this year and injuries couldn't, as we saw at Florida state, um, is, is the risk when you don't do that. You know, they've got uh, Styles and, and Puff Johnson and, and Kern Walton that are, you know, they're all four-star you know, blue chip recruits. And they're Puff just Johnson not. might be a starter at Florida State. I yeah, mean, that dude is, he, out of their roster, he's the Florida State player. He's just, that, that dude is a dog and, and he, uh, he cannot get minutes at UNC. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what it looks like next year. They've got, you know, a little bit of talent coming in, but, but certainly not the the level of, you know, like one and done that Duke has coming in. Um, so, is he moving forward? Going to develop? Like, was this a one shot deal on the uh, the depth thing, just relying on his starting five, or is that going to be how he coaches in in, in the future? Um, you know, the sort of the anti Ham concept, where you know Ham is is, is playing eighteen guys and and UNC is playing five. Uh, 
So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll know a little bit more about him next year, but he certainly, you know, did a good job in the second half of, of this season. I wouldn't consider their, you know, their, they didn't, they didn't start the greatest, you know, in, in, uh, in the season, but uh, you know, they, they certainly finished well. And if, you know, if you look back to when, you know, they, they were kind of picked up a few losses, like, you know, I should point out that those were against good teams too. So it's not like, you know, they were losing to, to, you know, they had the they, pit. They, did they lose to pit? Yeah. They lost to pit at home. That was going to, so of that one was a bad team and a bad <laughs> yeah. loss, but when you're losing yeah. to wake, when you're losing to, I don't know, Virginia or my, I'm not exactly sure they lost to, but it seemed like the ACC ended up being at least midway through the year, a bit mm-hmm. better than what folks thought. I, we, we need to have a separate pod on pod on that. We probably move on here, but, I firmly believe that if the eight it leagues can they schedule themselves into into some bad scenarios with the NCAA tournament where you front load everything, particularly if you're a league that relies on a lot of incoming talent, which the ACC is, and you front load everything with your out of conference schedules, first games, second couple of weeks, you got the Big Ten Challenge, you participate in the Champions Classic, you pick up these losses, and now those computers that's the only it's the only thing that they have to say against other conferences for the whole year. And, and you end up with these efficiency ratings that it's really difficult to determine, well, is this a good team that's improving, beating another good team that's improving, or is it just two bad teams in a conference that picked up some bad early season losses? I, I would love to see a, a mid-January, uh, you know, weekend where there's mm-hmm. a, or, or, or an early February weekend where everybody goes and plays a team from another conference. Uh, and I think that would give us a much better measuring stick of how teams have improved from December 1st to February 1st. Yeah, the SEC and the Big 12 do exactly that, and the ACC should jump on board. Yeah, yeah. So that maybe an article or a pod to be said there, because right now it is hurting our, you know, our chances in March at, at mm-hmm. getting seeds. That like UNC should not have been an eight seed. Just put that on the table right now. Like they're better than an eight seed, but their resume said eight seed because there was nowhere to pick up quality wins outside of the other UN, uh, ACC programs. All right, rant aside. It's, it was a hell of a game with Duke and uh, Duke and UNC. It was not a hell of a game with Kansas and Villanova. Part of that is because Villanova, another team that relies on basically five or six guys, had their major injury and, lo and behold, got blown out the next game. Welcome to the club. Uh, injuries suck. And, uh, and so great Final Four. We got one more matchup tomorrow, and then we can officially head into what I'm sure will be a wild college basketball offseason. Uh, speaking of the offseason, Florida State's been in the offseason, but has gotten some good news. Why don't we, uh, won't we take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about a couple guys who transferred out, a guy who's transferred in, and a really big, uh, you know, announcement that one person, one of the three who maybe we worried about are leaving is deciding that they're coming back. So we'll take a quick break and, and come back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Uh, moving from the the final four now two of the teams that are around for the for the 2022 college basketball season and into uh, a program, Florida State, that is looking to remake its roster ahead of the 2023 college basketball season. Uh, we had a couple guys leave real quick. 
Quincy Ballard, who had been here for a couple of years and uh, saw a spot playing time at the center position, never truly felt like he was comfortable at this level of basketball or playing our system. And so he is going to take his length and athleticism uh, somewhere else. And then the French seven footer that some folks had maybe seen, he was on campus for a couple of months. Uh, you could see him warming up if you went to a game at the Tucker Center. He also transferred, having never played uh, a game of basketball for Florida State. So that opened up a few scholarships, two scholarships. And uh, we already have one of those filled with a, a player from the Ivy League, from Brown, whose name is Jalen Ganey, uh, an, an athletic, defensive-minded big uh, that I think you've done some some scouting on. I'm pretty excited about this guy. You know, the uh... – Florida State, I thought was a little bit slow getting into the into the whole transfer market. You know, we had David Nichols, but other than that, it was it was uh, you know kind of slow going there for a while. And then last year we had you know Mills and, and Cameron Fletcher, which you know showed that the coaches were were I think finally embracing the 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 portal. And then this year we got Jalen Ganey from Brown, who is who's a heck of a player. You know, he's keys played in the Ivy league, but he's got high major athleticism. He's got basically no offensive game, but he's a dunk machine. You know, he's, he's one of the few players in the country that had over 50 dunks this year. And so it's just going to, it fits well into sort of the, the drive and lob, you know, attack that, that Florida state often implements. And he's small and quick enough to actually defend multiple positions. So it's not like we, we won't see as much next year of, teams just ISOing our big, you know, and, and going after him because he, he's, he can actually move his feet and defend. And, and he, he hasn't really had to defend against smaller players in, in the Ivy league. I mean, smaller bigs, but he hasn't really had to defend point guards and, and shooting guards. So the, the, the impact he has will kind of uh, depend on how quickly he, he fits into our defensive system, but he was the defensive player of the year, you know, two times in a row at Brown and, you can kind of take those things with a grain of salt. They typically just pick the person who blocks the most shots, and that was him. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, without without reviewing a ton of film, it's it's hard to say you know exactly how he's going to fit in. But but he's athletic, he's long, he can he can do some things on the court, and he fills a, a definite need that Florida State has for next year. Yeah, he really does. And um, you know, I, I was a little split hesitant for the coaching staff. Clearly, has an eye for talent. Uh, we know that. And they have, as you mentioned earlier, an eye for development. But, you know, you, you see, to your point about Ivy League, not sure how that's going to go. Um, you know, just the, the level of talent that they or a little maybe the level of athleticism that they're more used to playing, I think, is always a, a question mark. But, you know, I'll, I'll, a couple of things I'll say here. One, we, we've seen some in examples of Ivy League transfers who have made an impact. Uh, recently, you know, Paul Atkinson over at Notre Dame this year, tournament team made the second round. Uh, he came from Yale and, uh, you know, he, he was, he was a strong player for Notre Dame. Uh, he, he was fourth in the ACC in offensive rebounding percentage and, uh, and 16th in the ACC in, in his offensive rating, really, really good, uh, around the basket, good free throw shooter, different player than Jalen Ganey, right? Uh, Jalen Ganey is much more on the defensive side. Paul is much maybe on the offensive side. Um, but he, he certainly was able to make that transition. Jimmy Bo, uh, Beheim up at Syracuse made that transition. I think, wasn't he at Cornell? I want to say, um, at either rate coming from the Ivy League, I mean, he, he had some uh, impact games and, and we've seen, it's not like Jalen hasn't played against um, 
against other big teams. You know, they played UNC where he, he only played 11 minutes. This was in the beginning of the year. And keep in mind that Ivy League schools didn't even play last year. Uh, so this was their first game in like two years or so. But he played 11 minutes, had some foul trouble, keeping up with Baycott. But, uh, he, you know, as he does, he, he blocked a couple shots and and made a couple baskets around around the rim because, that, I mean, that's what you said, you know, lob threat, right? Uh, they played um, Creighton, and, and he had a, had a nice game, had three blocks, rebounds again uh some dunks high offensive rating efficient so it's not like this guy hasn't played competition that is at the high major level and i think the question mark will be to your point how quickly can he take his athleticism and clearly intelligence if he's if he's at brown and and understand the systems and principles that are going to probably for the first time ask him to switch and and use that lateral quickness to defend guys out on the perimeter while still rotating back and, and getting those block shots right you're not just standing under the rim protecting it yeah and, and and you know to your point about about ivies it's like the general uh, difference between their their players are like they're either not as athletic or they don't have the size you know so the, the really athletic players are generally undersized and the the really big players are generally under athletic uh so you know Ganey's block percentage was like twice of anybody else in in the ivy league and it would have been about fourth in the acc so you know, I wouldn't expect him to come in and just like be setting records blocking shots but he's he's got that uh you know, he's, he's got that pedigree, which, which is nice. And then if you look at, at how he was playing down the stretch for their final six games, he was the Ken, Ken Palm MVP with just, with just silly numbers. You know, he had 20 points and 18 boards in, in his final game at, um, um, at Brown. And it's, it's a little unfortunate that he didn't plan a better team. You know, I think they were like five and nine in the, in the, in the Ivy, but you know, it is what it is. And then he, you know, he's only played three years there, but he was there for four years. And, and so per Ivy League rules, he, he, he was out of eligibility, but that will na- enable Florida State to petition for another year. So it's, it's potential that we could be getting him for two years, which is, you know, obviously better than one. Than one. Um, and then in terms of scouting him and, and, and uh, you know, understanding who he is as a person and how, is, how he's going to fit into the culture, you know, he's from Greensboro. So there's, there's plenty of coaches, uh, you know, high school coaches and, 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 you know, other folks around the game that our coaches could have, could have talked to. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're very dialed in on who this guy is. And, and he had like a 4.2 GPA in high school he's obviously smart he's smart dude you know he's he's playing in the ivy and he's and he's you know getting his getting his academics done so he should should hopefully be able to pick up things pretty quickly yeah i i like i mean listen if we get games like his maryland game here's a stat line from the maryland game right five for six from the field uh you know i'm i didn't watch it i'm guessing most of that is right around the basket just from the from this tape i've seen so 10 points five for six from the field three blocks four rebounds a um, couple of fouls, but I mean that man. If we're getting that kind of production, that's against Maryland, right? If we're getting that kind of production, that that is exactly what the doctor orders. I I don't know right now if I see him starting. I, I think that we saw some. Um, first of all, we know Ham likes to have a seven footer on the court to start the games, uh, to to win tip, and and we also saw some progress that 
Naheem McLeod was making before getting hurt there. I, so, I mean, right now, if you're asking me who's starting big, I'd probably say Naheem McLeod. Uh, I, I would also say I'm not trying to make predictions, but, you know, people who I speak to and stuff, I, it's not a it's not a sure thing that Malik Osborne leaves. I, you know, he, he has a decision to make. He's able to come back. He did, of course, he didn't want his senior year to end on an injury. So clearly someone like Malik Osborne coming back changes the narrative. But um, I, I could see Jalen Ganey getting, you know, good 15 plus minutes uh, on our roster, uh, being a very good rotational player, not very good, good minutes and providing good impact as a rotational player next year for Florida State. Yeah, I think if he plays 15 to 20 minutes, it means that we got a pretty good transfer. And, and you know, that's what that's what the expectations sh- should be. You know, no center at Florida State is going to play a ton of minutes. And so 15 to 20 kind of fits right into that uh, um, that that slot. And if, if Malik comes back, I think that it goes down because Malik can do th- some things that, that, you know, other people can't do. Um, but... Uh, we shall see. And I, and I agree that McLeod's going to be the starter and he was actually, he was doing some pretty good things and he, he tries to dunk, dunk the ball, which is you know, something that we weren't seeing from other bits. I like that. Year. I yeah, like guys who try to rip the rim down. <laughs> yeah. If you're seven, four, um, you know, maybe have some fun. Go ahead and, yeah. go ahead and dunk. So well, he's see. had some games where he single, you know, four or five offensive rebounds on one possession. So mm-hmm. um, I think Duke maybe had a game like that where he was just, you know, look, taken over uh, for stretches of three, four minutes at a time. So let's talk about maybe the other, you know, good news that we've had. Um, Matthew Cleveland, who, uh, you know, won sixth man of the year, was was a Ballyhooed freshman, came in, had some great moments this year, had the game winner against UVA uh, on, on that kind of last second turnaround three, really started to so, sh- show some chops on the defensive end, uh, getting into at least in terms of being disruptive uh, as an individual defender, still want to need, you know, I think picking up some of the systems that we've had and, and able to kind of get 10 points just by being around loose balls and putbacks and transition dunks and stuff and the occasional mid-range floater, definitely working on his shot, but we are happy to say that he'll be working on his shot another year in Tallahassee with went under the tutelage and, and uh, really helpful guidance of, of one Stan Jones. So, um, you know, he could have decided to look out. I, I don't, we talked about it. Probably he was not going to be a first round pick because of that shot that needs some work. He could have looked at his opportunities elsewhere, either professional or in college. And I mean, this is, this is big news, right? Getting Matthew Cleveland back. He could certainly be making some money somewhere. I mean, that's, so that's, 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 that's always good when someone sees that their uh, sort of long-term outcome in basketball uh, would be lifted by returning to another season playing at Florida state. So that that's, that's good news. He, you know, got plenty of time this year. He the only four freshmen and Ham's entire tenure, 20 year tenure have, have played more minutes as a freshman. Um, you know, some of that was due to injuries and some of that was due to just, he does things on the court that, you know, other guys, other guys don't do. So we've, we've got some very clear things that he needs to work on. And I think that if he, if he really digs in this summer and, and puts in the work, uh, we'll, we'll see a vastly improved, you know, sophomore season out of him. He's not, he's not going to be a, you know, 35% three point shooter. He's not going to, you know, make 80% of his free throws like Michael Ojo, but, but he, uh, you know, can make 
uh, really key improvements on both sides of the floor. And he's got, you know, eight months to work on it and some pretty talented guys around him to, to, to work against. So I'm, I'm super thrilled that he's coming back. I hope all the freshmen come back. And uh, if they do, you know, we, we could be looking at a pretty good, good team next year. Yeah. I, I, he, he's not probably going to jump from 17% three to 35% in one season. And you know what? I don't think he needs to, I think if, if the right, uh, if some of the other guys make some improvements, Caleb was obviously capable of making a three. Cameron Fletcher can make the three. Uh, we, we know we've got a recruit or two coming in that maybe can. I don't think that he needs to. I would love to see Matthew Cleveland at 28% from three and, and maybe more importantly, 70% from the free throw line. We've seen guys make that jump from 55 to 68 to 70 or from 50 to 65 in one year under Stan Jones and really, really just getting, I mean, it's what it is, right? You got to get in the gym, you got to grind and you got it when, when, I mean, Stan Jones is one of the best free throw developers uh, in the country. To your point about Michael Ojo went from like mid thirties to shooting 80% and getting that hand placement, right. Getting that consistency with your knee bend and, and your, uh, the tempo and the timing of the rhythm. And, uh, yeah, if Matthew Cleveland who gets fouled a lot can become a 70% free throw shooter and perhaps a little bit better finishing around the basket through contact a little bit more month, you know, a little bit better strength, a little bit better, uh, just, Finishing through contact, you're looking at a guy that can go from being sixth man of the year in the ACC to maybe all ACC second team, right? And and making that leap that that Devin Vassell, different player, great shooter, but he's an example of a guy that came back for his second year and got drafted. Fiondu Cabangeli got drafted after his second year of playing basketball. Took him three years at Florida State. Um, you know, we've seen the improvements that a guy like. Patrick Williams even made from year one at Florida state to year one in the NBA. And so that, that, that leap to the second year can be uh, pretty big if the guy's willing to put in the effort. Yeah. And I think it's that consistency that we're really looking for out of a sophomore compared to a freshman. Um, you know, if you, if you look at not to jump outside of basketball, but if you look at golf, there's like, you know, Jim Furyk, Matthew Wolf, they have these, they have these swings that nobody would ever teach you know, as, as a way to become a good golf player, but it works because they're consistent, you know? And so we don't need Matthew Cleveland to look like Steph Curry when he's shooting the ball, but he needs to be consistent. And he was not this year. It's like every time he stepped up to the free throw line, he looked a little different than the previous time he had stepped up to the free throw line. And in conference play, he drew the seventh most fouls of anybody in the ACC. And so he's going to, he's going to get plenty of opportunities to be shooting those free throws next year. And if he's someone who we can rely on, you know, at the, at the end of games, then, you know, the, then the sky's really the limit for his offensive game anyway. Yeah. And, and he's a smart kid. We're talking about, a, he, he made the Dean's list this year. He was, uh, you know, great student in high school at a prep school and comes from a, you know, strong family of, of academics. And so he, uh, he's a smart kid. And, and sometimes I do wonder if he's just a little bit in his own head, maybe uh, like mm-hmm. you don't, shooting a free throw is not solving a math equation or a Rubik's cube, right? It's, it's getting a feel and a rhythm and, and a timing down and, and going in there and just repeating the same motion every time. Right. And so it's getting out of your head and stop thinking and let that muscle memory take effect. And, you know, you just need to shoot it the same way, a, a good way, <laughs> 10,000 times uh, between now and, and uh, August, probably more than 10,000 if we're being honest. So anyways, I, I'm, happy to have him back 
Butler and Worley, I think, are the other guys that we've talked on previous podcasts. I know Butler Butler does have that perimeter shot that is appealing to NBA teams, and he is seven feet tall and can do things that a Chet Holmgren can kind of do. We've talked how we'd love to see him come back and build a little muscle base, uh, you know, get some other skill besides just shooting threes in there. And then and then Worley took a lot of strides at the end of the year, too. Um, we want them both back. Do you think that – we're guessing here, but it feels like they could, I mean, we haven't heard of a transfer yet. A lot of folks have already announced LSU's entire team's gone. See you later. We'll wait and, and the team. So I don't know, hoping for good news. Maybe we'll come back with a pod here with, with more good news here in, in a few, few weeks. Well, hope, hope springs eternal, especially in spring, everything in my garden's flowering. So I'm, I'm assuming they're coming back. Yeah. I, I, to Butler in particular, you know, he's going to make a lot of money playing basketball and it just depends on, you know, does, does he want uh, a big contract when he's coming out of college or does he want to be, you know, training 40 hours, you know, 50, 60 hours a week um, under NBA, NBA tutelage in the D league or wherever. Um, so I would ride uh, buses to Sioux city and, and uh, yeah. Omaha, right. Uh, while, while you're getting beat up by some 28 year old guy who's still just trying to make it in the league. Yeah, it's like like Michael Jordan when he was in the minor leagues in baseball. You know, it's like, yeah. does does Butler want to be living that life? I hope not. I hope he wants to be, uh, you know, getting better and winning a bunch of games at Florida State next year because he is he could be, you know, a huge key to to success of the, to the team next year. And he's another guy who got plenty of minutes and and has very identifiable areas of his game that he needs to to work on. And you know, a particular room in the training center where he needs to spend an awful lot of time. Uh, you know, moving, moving some weights around. And, and that for me, if I were advising any of these guys, that really is one of the keys, right? Like Raekwon Gray, if we go back to last year and I talked about like, yeah, I probably could see him leaving. What Raekwon Gray at that point didn't, there weren't a ton of identifiable areas that he could, could improve in one year that would negate the fact that he'd be another year older, right? Like, okay, well, change your entire body type so that you're someone who's a little bit slimmer. Like that's not, that's not functional for him to do. Can't do that. He already was a 30 or so percent free uh, three point shooter. And, and he had improved his free throw shooting enough. You look at a guy like John Butler, he has identifiable areas to improve his game that can be improved in the course of one year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he declared, you know, they allow people to declare for the NBA and get feedback while retaining your eligibility you know, for a guy who I'm sure impressed the scouts against Duke and Notre Dame when he put on some shows, but to hear that direct feedback from NBA scouts of here's exactly what you can do in Tallahassee next year to go from being maybe the 50th pick to maybe the 15th pick. And, and that to me, wouldn't be shocking if we see John Butler do that. Uh, and, and Worley, I hope comes back just because I, I, I see there's a really big role for him on a college basketball team, uh, both next year and even the year at like, there's just a need and a, and a great match and role for what he could do as a facilitator, as a playmaker, and as someone who really started to flash some uh, ability to steal, steal a basketball down the stretch. I, I think there is a, a really big role that Jalen Worley could play on a, on a second weekend in the NCAA tournament team, you know, kind of team at Florida State. And I think we can say that about, you know, everybody on the roster who's going to be coming back is like, everybody has very identifiable things to be working on and nobody was, you know, nobody was really a polished player this year. And 
Um, you know, physically, they just they they were a little bit undersized. And tomorrow night when Kansas is playing, just like look at those dudes. Look at like that. That's what we want our team to look like. Just physically, when they, you know when they, when they step off the bus, and and there's a long way to go to get there. But you know, we, we we've got some. We've got eight months, so let's get to work. All right, Michael. Well, I think I, I feel like you know maybe the worm has turned, and and you know this is this is some of the best back to back news that Florida State's received as a basketball program in in maybe twelve months or so in terms of two two pieces of good news in a week. Hopefully we get some more coming. If, if folks see John Butler put his name into the draft, I'm not predicting it, but if if you do see that, don't think, I mean, he can definitely get some feedback and come back and, and utilize that information to really, you know, dedicate himself to making some changes in the off season. So uh, ho- hopefully we get some more good news coming back and, and uh, you know, maybe we'll do another podcast in a, in a few weeks with that news and, and also, check in on some of the golf and then we got the masters coming up and some other stuff. So sad to see basketball ending for a year, but in this year I kind of was ready. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's move on. Let's, let's yeah. look towards the future. Right. Yeah. If we, if we can't go back to 2020, then uh, that team, let that team go through March madness and let's just go listen, on to next listen, year. If we're not bringing top five picks in the draft off the bench, then I don't <laughs> want to be a part of it. Right. right. <laughs> That's not what I want to be a part of. It, so. All right. Well, uh, good as always talking to you and, uh, and let, again, we'll hope for some more good news. You got a prediction tomorrow night, UNC or Kansas. I picked Kansas back in the back at the beginning of this thing, so I'm sti- I'm sticking with it. I think they're, uh, I think I think I think they've got a gear that UNC does not have, so we, we'll see. I, I can't fault you for that, but maybe just to be different, or I don't know. I feel like Hubert Davis has tapped into whatever uh, Tubby Smith first year magic there is, and and I, I think Caleb Love rises to the occasion one more time and finds a way late in the game to get it done. And, and you know what? It might just happen off of an offensive rebound from Armando Baycott uh, for a kickout. So I'll go UNC. You say Kansas. One of us will be right. Till next time. Talk to you.